Welcome back to the Simplifying Investing podcast series and the very first episode of Oliver's Insights. We've been fortunate to have AMP's Chief Economist, Dr. Shane Oliver, join us on the program before, and now he'll be providing a regular update on the key issues and topics impacting the Australian economy and investment markets. Shane is keen to help you make informed decisions around investing. So in this episode, Shane will be taking a look at a topic that is dear to the hearts of many of us here in Australia, house prices. Now, before I hand over to Shane, a quick reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only. Okay, so let's get going. House prices are always um, a hot topic of interest in Australia, I guess, for a bunch of reasons. Yeah, two-thirds of households either own their own house outright or um, have a mortgage, and so they probably want to see the value of that house go up. And, of course, so many of them have invested in property over and above the family home, and, of course, there's the top topic and the difficult topic of housing affordability, which has been deteriorating for many years. But of course, uh, the focus lately has shifted to the impending slowdown in the property market in the face of rising interest rates. So I guess the first question is, what is the current state of the property market? And what we all know, last year, property prices around Australia boomed. Average national home prices, according to CoreLogic, rose 22%, and that was their fastest 12-month increase since way back in 1989 bunch of factors propelled that, very low interest rates, in fact, record low interest rates, home buyer incentives, um, a switch in demand through the pandemic to goods like housing, away from services. Uh, then we had the recovery from the lockdowns and the lack of supply. And then, of course, the fear of missing out, so-called FOMO, all drove very strong gains. But interestingly, momentum on a monthly basis actually peaked a year ago, way back in March of last year where national house prices in that month, again, according to CoreLogic, rose 2.8%. Since then, monthly gains for the capital cities have trended down to around 0.3%. In fact, some cities, Sydney and Melbourne, have been starting to see declines in prices, even though other cities like Brisbane and Adelaide are still booming. So we're seeing a bit of divergence there, but the broad trend has been towards one of slowdown. Um, and of course, regional areas are still doing very well as well. But I guess the key issue is what it is, is the outlook. After such a strong gain, it stands to reason we'll probably go into a slower period. And the debate is how severe that slowdown will be. Uh, we think that property prices are going to slow down to a crawl this year. House price growth probably averaging around 1% nationally. Of course, a big divergence there. Adelaide and Brisbane probably stronger, Sydney and Melbourne weaker. Next year, we're probably going to see price declines of the order somewhere to 5 to 10%. But I think cutting through all the noise, we're probably going to see a top to bottom fall in average property prices around Australia of around 10 to 15%. Um, and I'm talking here over a two-year period. At the moment, price growth is still occurring, and that'll probably continue out to the middle of the year. But from the middle of the year, out to sometime in early or first half 2024, we're probably going to see a 10 to 15% decline in prices. Obviously, again, a big divergence there. Sydney and Melbourne, probably at the weaker end. Other cities, uh, probably less impacted by the declines. But I guess the first question many people have is, do prices actually go down? You know, a common myth is that property prices in Australia only ever go up. Whereas if we look through history, the evidence tells us that that is not so, that prices do go down. In fact, I've got real data going back to the 
the 1920s and we saw that real prices in Sydney fell 36% in 1934-35, of course, the height of the Great Depression. Again, they fell 32% in 1937 to 41 um, and 41% in 1942-43. That was probably after the midget submarines got into Sydney Harbour and the people in the eastern suburbs decided to move off to Barrel. Uh, then again, we saw dips through the 1950s, 60s and 70s. Um, more recent data, just looking at CoreLogic data from the 1980s, showed that Sydney prices had a very steep fall in the early 80s, down 25%. That was the early 80s recession. They fell again in the early 90s recession by around 10%. They had an 8% dip in 2004, 2006. And more recently, they fell 15% in 2017, 19. And of course, I could repeat similar data for other capital cities around Australia. So we do go through periods where prices come down. Most recent period, of course, was through that run-up prior to the pandemic, 2017 to 2019, which saw prices come down 10% nationally on average. So prices do go down. All of those downswings out of interest in the period since 1980 were preceded by monetary tightening, either higher interest rates or in the case of 2017-19, um, by a reduction in the supply of loans, which of course, that was the period where you saw that those macro prudential controls slow things down. So what do we think will be the drivers of the current slowdown? bunch of factors. Obviously, when prices go up, affordability deteriorates. Over the last 18 months or so, prices have gone up 20% on average, but wages have only gone up 3.7%. Bear in mind, I'm talking about an 18-month period there, not a 12-month period. So that's why those wage numbers sound a little bit stronger, because I'm talking about 18 months, not 12 months. But obviously, when prices go up far stronger than wages, you get affordability issues, and that prices many buyers out of the market, not just first-time buyers, but also people seeking to trade up. Rising mortgage rates, fixed mortgage rates have already almost doubled over the last, uh, the last, I guess, 12 months um, from the lows at the start of last year. So that reduces the amount of money that people can borrow as a new home buyer. It doesn't affect existing buyers because they're locked in with their fixed rates already, and that'll affect them when those terms mature. But it does affect new buyers because it means they can afford to borrow less. Then we're going to see the RBA probably starting in June this year. I say probably there is a chance they could go in May if the upcoming inflation numbers are bad. I think they're going to be high, but if they're really bad, then they may have to go in May. But I think the more likely scenario is they wait until after the election and go in June. By the end of the year, we see the RBA raising rates to around 1% and up to around 1.5% next year. But whatever it is, that's going to translate into something like 150 basis point or a 1.5% increase in variable mortgage rates um, over the next 18 months or so. And that, of course, will act as a dampener um, for new borrowers, uh, but also affect existing borrowers. And then, of course, you're going to have that period where existing borrowers with fixed rates roll over to the new higher rates. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to cause people to default. I think that's unlikely. Um, or if there is a bit of that, it will be relatively minor and manageable. The bigger issue will be that as rates go up, it means people can borrow less and therefore pay less for housing. On top of that, we've got high inflation, increasing the cost of living, makes it harder to save for a deposit. We're seeing increasing supply in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, we're seeing a rotation back in consumer spending to services, so that may reduce housing demand at the margin. And we're seeing decline in home buyer confidence. So all of these things we see as the key drivers for a decline in house prices over the next 18 months, two years. I guess the big question is, will prices crash? I'm talking about a 10 to 15% fall, but 
yeah, maybe it could be a 25% fall. If you get that sort of thing, then a lot of people would call that a crash. Look, to be honest with you, I think that's certainly a risk. We don't know how people are going to respond to rising interest rates. The last time we saw a rise in official interest rates was way back in 2010. So many borrowers have simply never seen a period of rising interest rates or rising mortgage rates. So that's going to create a bit of stress. And there's also this risk that, like we're seeing in the US at present, that inflation surprises on the upside and the RBA, like the Fed, um, ends up having to tighten a lot more than they initially thought. Um, But I think there's a bunch of factors arguing against a crash. Uh, Firstly, the Reserve Bank's analysis in their latest financial stability report for April, you can check it on the Reserve Bank's website, Um, they did some sensitivity analysis there and they showed a lot of households are already paying more than they actually need to uh, and a lot of them have built up buffers um, in the form of um, getting ahead on their mortgage, which means that many households won't see a big increase in their payments and should be able to, their conclusion is that household sector as a whole should be able to withstand up to a 2% rise in mortgage rates. The RBA also is not on autopilot here. It knows that households have more debt. Therefore, households will be more sensitive to rising interest rates and therefore they won't probably, in theory anyway, won't have to raise interest rates as much as they did in the past to get a given slowing in demand to cause a given slowing in inflation. Um, So therefore, they're going to proceed somewhat cautiously in raising rates and I don't think they're going to be on autopilot rising, raising interest rates to, to some level determined way back in the dim distant past when debt levels were a lot lower. We've also got a relatively tight property market. This is interesting. I would have thought with the absence of immigrants, there would be potentially an oversupply situation. But the rental market tells us that's not the case. In fact, for six of the eight capital cities, the rental vacancy rate is now below 1%. And in Sydney and Melbourne, it's been declining quite rapidly as foreign students and immigrants start to return. So that, again, augurs against a a crash scenario in the property market. It's hard to see property prices crashing when there's a a lack of supply in a tight rental market. And finally, um, you've got an increase in home deposit schemes announced in the most recent budget and immigration is starting to pick up, both of which should put a bit of a floor under the property market. But as I mentioned, you can't ignore the risk of a crash. It could occur. I just don't think it's the most likely scenario. What will be the impact of slowing property prices on the economy? This is a good question. We saw in 2017-2019 when prices around the country fell 10%, Sydney they fell 15%, that, um, that slowed the economy down. Now, if that occurs this time around, which it probably will because you get this negative wealth effect, your wealth goes down, you feel poorer, you spend less. If that occurs, then it's going to take pressure off the Reserve Bank in terms of how much they have to raise interest rates. Now, a bigger question is, are we near the end of the long-term boom in property prices that we've seen over the last 25 years? The reason I raise this is because over the last 25 years, property prices have been propelled higher and higher and higher across Australia um, relative to people's wages, leading to what I would call an affordability crisis. Um, and that's only been overcome to some degree, if you call it that, by uh, people taking on ever higher levels of debt. Now, there's a limit to that. But one of the big things that allowed that to happen was the shift from a 17% mortgage rate way back uh, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago now, to a 2% mortgage rate. That downtrend in interest rates enabled people to borrow more and more, progressively more and more. I know there was cyclical swings up and down in rates through that period, but the trend has been to borrow more and more, and that enabled people to pay more and more for houses and push their prices up. Now, in other countries with low rates, that's been offset by a supply response 
um, and kept prices reasonably affordable. If you look at most European and Euro cities, for example, that hasn't happened in Australia because we saw a huge surge in immigration relative to um, the supply of property and therefore we had a shortage of property for, for much of at least the last 10, 15 years. So the question is whether that's going to reverse. And I think there's a good argument that the tailwind from ever declining interest rates is over. It's hard to see the cash rate going negative in Australia. The Reserve Bank doesn't want to do that, didn't want to do that uh, through the pandemic. Um, so it's quite possible. We've seen the low point in interest rates and if inflation picks up more sustainably going forward, and there's good reasons to suspect that it will, then uh, we might actually see a rising trend in interest rates, which remove the tailwind and the ever-increasing amount that people can borrow to, to pay for houses. So there's a good argument there that we may have seen the, or maybe coming into the end point um, of the super cycle boom in property prices that we've seen over the last 25 years. The other factor I would add is the work from home phenomenon. Uh, that means, if more people can work from home, they more people living in regional areas where property costs are lower, hopefully they supply more property in those areas as well, so those people don't get squeezed out. Um, but it could take pressure off capital city prices. But I think there's a good chance that the next, say, 10 years, we'll see lower property price gains than over the last 10 years. And some of the affordability stresses may start to abate a little bit, I hope. What can we do? I mean, this is just a forecast. What can we do to permanently improve affordability? bunch of things. I think you need an all-out effort over a space of five to 10 years on from all levels of government to commit to boost supply, to make sure that immigration levels are matched to the ability of the property market to supply new property, um, to encourage decentralisation, to build on what we're seeing from work from home, um, and tax reform. Big ones there I would nominate are reforming tax stamp duty, to replace it with lamp tax, to make it easier for empty nesters to downsize, and also uh, cut the capital gains tax discount. I, I would eliminate it altogether, to be honest with you, and I'd return to what Paul Creedy had, which was you're only taxed on real capital gains. But the capital gains tax discount, I think, is too generous. It does encourage excessive speculation in property. So they're the sort of things I would look to be doing. Um, unfortunately, I don't see either side of politics committing to uh, much of a serious effort at this point, but nice to, it would be nice to see that. Uh, finally, I guess the question is, would a change of government change the outlook? If I look at current policies, I find it hard to say that will be the case. Um, I think their policies with respect to housing are just too similar to say that the outlook is going to be significantly different um, depending on whether there's a change of government or not. I would point out that since 1980, according to CoreLogic data again, capital city property price growth has averaged 6.6% under the coalition, 5.2% under Labor. You could argue that's very similar. Uh, in the great scheme of things. Um, but the bigger issue is that ultimately, um, the big driver of property price gains under Labor and the coalition um, have not been so much government policies, but more the economic cycle and interest rates. And so that's why I don't think um, a change in government will necessarily affect the outlook. The real issue is um, those pressures I referred to earlier regarding interest rates um, and also if there is a change in policy towards property, but so far it's hard to see that from either side of politics. So I'll leave it there. I hope that's been of value and hopefully we can catch up again next time. Uh, just in conclusion, I do think we're going to see softer property prices over the next 18 months, two years, with a 10 to 15% decline. Uh, the negative wealth effect will have a dampening impact on the economy, which should hopefully take some pressure off the Reserve Bank um, and if you're all focused on the election, I don't think a change of government is going to have a significant impact on the outlook for property prices. But I would stress the tailwind from falling interest rates um, probably won't be a factor.
going forward in terms of driving the property market. Well, there you have it. Plenty to think about if you're weighing up real estate in Australia. Shane Oliver will return soon for the next installment of his Oliver's Insights right here on the Simplifying Investing podcast series. Now, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming service. That way you'll be kept up to date on all of our important investing conversations. And a reminder before we leave you, as mentioned earlier in the show, all topics discussed today are general in nature and this podcast hasn't taken your personal circumstances into account. That's why we always recommend that you seek out tailored financial advice that's relevant to your personal circumstances before making any important financial decisions.